Rebuilding Futures for Our Nation's Heroes, Innovations in Research and Employment for Veterans Cultivation Event. Listen to this year's Cultivation Event Welcome from Glenn M. Ryder, Board of Trustees Chairman, and the discussion moderated by Steve Adubato. This event was recorded and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, Creative Producer for Kessler Foundation, on Tuesday, June 5th, 2018, at the Kessler Foundation Conference Center, East Hanover, New Jersey. Let's listen in. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Glenn Ryder, and I'm the chair of the Board of Trustees of the Kessler Foundation. On behalf of my fellow trustees, as well as our CEO, Roger DeRose, and the entire staff of the Foundation, I am pleased to welcome you to this, the fourth annual showcase presented by the Foundation. I, th- I think tonight's crowd is the largest crowd that we've had for one of these events. It's probably the largest crowd since the last presidential inauguration. <laughs> the Kessler Foundation is all about serving one of the largest underserved populations in the United States, namely people with disabilities. According to the federal government, more than 56 million Americans, or approximately 17% of the population, suffer from one or more physical or cognitive disabilities. And the missions of the Kessler Foundation are to help change and improve the lives of people with disabilities. Another often underserved population in the United States consists of veterans. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, nearly 22 million Americans are veterans, which represents close to 7% of the country's population. We, We do have a number of veterans here tonight on the panel and in the audience, and I would ask the veterans to raise their hands and identify themselves so we can thank them for their service. According to recent governmental data, approximately 3.8 million veterans suffer from a service-connected disability, whether physical, cognitive, or psychological. Tonight's program focuses on the Kessler Foundation's work with and for disabled veterans. Disabled veterans constitute a subset of the disabled population of the United States, but they also represent the intersection of two profoundly underserved populations in the country, that is, uh, people with disabilities and veterans. As, as many of you know, the Kessler Foundation has two core missions. First, the Foundation, through its in-house staff of scientists and physicians, conducts cutting-edge re- cutting research to improve the lives of people afflicted by spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries, stroke, MS, in addition to other disabilities. Second, the Foundation supports and partners with other nonprofit organizations, governmental agencies, and businesses to to provide employment opportunities for people with disabilities and to enable them to engage in the communities in which they live. 
Our three prior annual showcases focused on the research side of the Foundation's work. The topic for the first such event was the use of robot, robotics to help people with spinal cord injuries uh, or of, who suffered from strokes. <clears throat> Two years ago, the focus of the showcase was on research to aid people in reclaiming their lives after strokes. And last year's event centered on research aimed at assisting people with MS. This, this evening's program is a little different. It demonstrates the Foundation's work in, in support of both of its core missions. So tonight you will learn about how our researchers seek to help disabled veterans to recover key human and bodily functions and also how the Foundation supports initiatives and programs to find jobs for disabled veterans and to enable them to more fully participate in their communities. So this evening's program thus highlights the Foundation's research activities on the one hand and its employment and community engagement projects on the other hand, in each case with a, with a focus tonight on disabled veterans. This program is not intended to be a fundraiser per se. It's rather intended to be an informational session. That said, the foundation is highly dependent upon donations to be able to conduct its innovative research and to support its impactful employment and community engagement projects. So we, so we do hope that you'll consider supporting the Kessler Foundation so that we may continue to change the lives of people with disabilities, uh, including, among others, disabled veterans. So it is now my pleasure to introduce Dr. John DeLuca. John is the head of research at the Kessler Foundation. He is also a research professor in the departments of physical medicine and rehabilitation and neurology at Rutgers Medical School. So thank you and, and welcome, John. Thank you, Glenn. Good evening, everybody. We're here tonight to talk about helping veterans with disabilities. So let's start with a few facts. You heard how many persons with disabilities, or with how many veterans are here in the United States, roughly 22 million. But about one in three of those persons who've returned live with a disability. Think about almost, almost one in three. Fewer than 40% of veterans with disabilities between the ages of 18 and 64 are employed, fewer than 40%. In contrast, more than 80% of able-bodied working age veterans are employed. That's a big difference. And here at the foundation, one of our commitments is to do something about that. So veterans face an enormous challenge when they transition to civilian life. Success often depends on finding a, a job or training for a new career. But the disability, whether it's physical or cognitive, is often a barrier to many individuals. So the journey is one of challenges of living with traumatic brain injury or, or living with a spinal cord injury, living with PTSD or other disabling conditions. So we at the Kessler Foundation, we support our donors. And Kessler Foundation helps 
our nations, with, with the support of our donors, the Kessler Foundation helps our nation's uh, heroes rebuilding their lives. It's a key mission of what we do. Our researchers seek to, to investigate new in interventions to help the veterans with their disabilities overcome the cognitive or mobility issues that they may have. Our researchers evaluate the latest technologies available to meet this mission, such as robotics. And our scientists work to implement their findings into clinical practice, and that's the key part. The part is to not just to do the research, but get it into practice to help people with disabilities, and tonight we're talking about returning veterans. And also the Kessler Foundation, as Glenn mentioned, also funds innovative employment initiatives to help veterans with the disabilities get back to work. So I know we're all looking forward to hearing the panel today. And so without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce our distinguished panel moderator. Dr. Steve Adubato is a broadcaster, author, and motivational speaker, an Emmy Award-winning anchor on PBS stations 13 WNET and NJTV, and syndicated columnist. Steve has appeared on, on the Today Show, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, AM970, Sirius XM, and NPR as a media and political an analyst. So please join me in welcoming Steve Adubato. Good evening, everyone. It's a Jersey thing, I guess. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. It is my honor and my pleasure to moderate, to facilitate, to engage in, I'm going to argue, one of the most important conversations, if not the most important conversation taking place in New Jersey or any place in this nation. My job is not to make a speech. My job is not to be on a soapbox. My job is to have the folks who are on this panel share their insight, their experiences, uh, their passion and commitment to helping veterans, veterans who are challenged in so many ways. And um, we also will engage you as well in this conversation. So if you look at your program, <clears throat> excuse me, you will see very detailed bios of each of our panelists. But I'm going to ask you to join me in very hearty applause for each one of them. The detailed descriptions are there, but please join me in first welcoming uh, Mr. Ian Betts, veteran, U.S. Navy and Coast Guard Reserve. Ian. By the way, folks, can you hear me back there? And by the way, I interviewed every one of, um, of the folks who are here for a series of in-depth interviews on public television, Fios, radio, everywhere that we are uh, seen and heard, uh, together with Roger and um, Elaine, the great team at the Kessler Foundation. Our production company, connected to PBS, produces programming that tries to inform, educate, and inspire. And every one of these folks was interviewed tonight, and they were all fabulous. And the second person I'd like to introduce is Dr. Gail Forrest. Oh, excuse me. Dr. Gail Forrest is right here. That's right. Let's hear it for Gail. My bad. I thought it was out of order. And while you're in the mood to applaud, Dr. Denise Fife. That's you, doctor, right? By the way, I, I'm going I'm to ask you on this, Denise. You ready? I, I did a series of seminars here as well on how to communicate with the media and how to uh, be the most effective communicators you can be and not speak in clinical jargon, if you will. One of the expressions I used to try to help people communicate was to say, picture this. So I said, picture this, and they paint a picture that's very vivid. And in the middle of the interview I did <coughs> with Dr. Fife, 
I said, well, how does this work? And she looked at me and she said, picture this, Steve. <laughs> and she, I think she did it to see if I would crack up, and I did on camera. I want to thank you for that, Denise. One more time for Dr. Denise Fife. Uh, the person who is, uh, heads a very challenging effort here in terms of grant making, she says she loves her job because she, she gives away money. I said, no, I don't. We're one of your awardees. You award money. It's very challenging. Elaine Katz here at the Kessler Foundation. Got to know this guy a couple years ago at a dinner I was proud to host at his organization. He and his colleagues at the GI Go Fund make a difference every day for veterans. He is Joe Bongan of the GI Go Fund, a veteran of the U.S. Navy. A gentleman who also was part of the, some of the coaching and training I did here. Um, and he is involved in extraordinary research, as are his colleagues, Dr. Glenn Wiley. And one of the three veterans we have on this panel who just did a fabulous job, let's just say under challenging conditions, with noise all around us, with lights that were flashing in his eyes, which are challenging in ways that for many of us is it's actually very difficult to imagine. He was fabulous. You will love him on camera. He will educate, inform, and inspire others. He is Chris Scafari, veteran of the U.S. Army. You know what's interesting? Chris, if I had gotten that wrong and said the Navy, would that have bothered you? You know... It says Army right here. You caught that. Good for you. Good for me. Hold right? on. Yeah. So it's a Marine. So, yes, I am a United States Marine. Does it matter to people whether they are in the Army, the Navy, or the Marines as yeah. to which... Yes. Does it matter, so, Chris? At 53 years old, I can say we're all veterans now. Okay, but they're all together. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear for that. Yeah. Dr. Forrest, let me ask you. We were talking on camera before, and I want you to share with folks what is the key to your research, and how is it connected to helping veterans and improve their quality of life, and ultimately, as we're talking about employment, talk about it. Uh, the key to our research, or the key to the research I do, is we cover the spectrum of improving function and you saw Ian walk um, and so not only improve function but also if you like exercise and so improving the cardiovascular improving potentially the muscle so all of this we evaluate through a number of different event, uh, interventions and and encompassing all of these is improving quality of life I mean many of the Many of the avenues that they have to live day to day because of the injury affects their quality of life. And so for the interventions that we're looking at, we're looking at trying to revert, reverse some of those issues. Quality of life and then potentially out in the community more and then potentially back to work. And Ian, we talked on camera. You talked about, and some folks, I hope everyone get to see you in the exoskeleton, okay? Talk about what it is as you try to describe it on the air, but also what it's done for you in terms of your mobility and your ability to do things that were impossible to do before. Um, well, it's definitely a good workout. That's the biggest thing. Uh, when I do two sessions back-to-back -back at the Bronx VA, I'm wiped out and I just have to sleep for the rest of the day. But I know I'm getting a good workout because I can feel it in my triceps, my biceps, and my upper torso. So that helps with me transferring my wheelchair, helps me get around, makes me more physically active just to move around. 
Mm. But the interesting, you were talking about this, the quality of life beyond the workout. Just talk about that. The quality of life, like going back to work? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tell, tell folks before, because you were a very active, successful entrepreneur before. You said you're still in the same field, but not to the same degree as you described it to me, correct? Talk That's about correct. That's um, correct. I did telecommunications wiring, network wiring in the city. And, um, you know, after the accident, I didn't think I was going to be able to do that. But thanks to the VA and all these studies I've been doing, I've been able to go back in the city and I take the train in and I take the subways, and I go see clients, and um, I just get out there. And then my business isn't anything what it was, which I'm totally okay with, but it's nice to be back in the city and to be, for lack of a better word, part of society and just like being part of it. Yeah, one more quick question on this. Kessler Foundation has helped you how? You were talking about your ability. Oh, my wheelchair to, skills. Yeah, talk about where Absolutely. Your skills, talk about your skills. Mm -hmm. I'm able to do uh, wheelies so I could go off trains. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know it sounds funny, but um, if you can't do a wheelie, you can't get off a subway car. Um, you need to get off on two wheels and roll off. Uh, there's usually a two-inch or three-inch gap and about two or three inches high. And I remember the first time before I had the skills training, I would just pray to God that the stop that I would go to would be level. And eight times out of ten, it would never be. One time I actually tried to go off backwards, and I actually slowly fell backwards. So I'm sitting there like a turtle on my back, and some guy came over and just picked me up and that was I rolled off but um yeah because of those uh, skills training I was able to uh, at Kessler at Kessler it makes a big difference absolutely yeah um, Denise let me doctor let me ask you uh, dr. Fife your research in terms of quality of life um, I asked dr. Farr same question talk about your research and its focus okay so my focus uh, for my project is really trying to understand the ways in which service-connected and non-service-connected veterans can access supportive resources from both civilian hospitals like Kessler and the VA. And so I'm partnering with my collaborators at the VA of New Jersey Health Care Services in East Orange. And what we found is really the best of both worlds for our spinal cord injured veterans, whether they're service connected or non-service connected, in terms of accessing resources that they might not be able to um, have access um, via their private insurance. We know that there are some gaps in private insurance, right, unfortunately, and that sometimes sometimes runs out mm. while patients are inpatient at Kessler. But the, the VA provides a nice gap, um, uh, prov provides a nice gap, no, sorry, bridge to the gap uh, in terms of their rehabilitation services, in terms of home modifications, uh, in terms of um, wheelchairs, access to possible um, aid and attendant care. Because, you know, we, if we have a veteran who is at Kessler and they've been identified, they can get services from both the private sector and the VA. Not overlapping services, but complementary, and they work really nicely together. You know, it's interesting, Elaine and Joe, we interviewed you back to back. Joe, you're with the GI Go Fund. By the way, tell everyone what the GI Go Fund is, and I'll come back to Elaine because there's a real connection. Sure. Um, we're a veterans nonprofit. We assist veterans with their. Here everyday. in the back? No. Oh, oh so the GI Go Fund is a nonprofit veterans organization. We help veterans with their everyday needs, whether it's getting their education benefits their health care, uh, employment needs, creating a resume, cover letters, anything with their uh, benefits, uh, they can ask me and uh, we can try to 
make it easier for them to attain these benefits. Joe, when you were, when you were doing the interview with us, you said that your experience, your challenges connected to finding employment has helped you tremendously in helping other veterans because you understand. You understand what? I understand what they're going through and how hard it is to make that transition from being uh, an active duty service uh, person to a civilian. It's pretty difficult. Uh, when I graduated college, I thought it would be pretty easy having four and a half years in and having a degree that it would be pretty simple to find a job. And I realized it wasn't that easy. Uh, I didn't realize that there's terminology that corporations don't understand that veterans know. And as you know, veterans use a lot of different acronyms. Can you give us one example of something we won't understand, Joe? Uh, <laughs> UCMJ, does anybody? I'm sorry, what? Uh, UCMJ? Anyone? What is it? Uh, Universal Code of Military Justice? Yeah, I knew that. But, um. <laughs> what? Did you, did you know that, Ann? Oh, yes, sir. Do you know that, Chris? I was racking my brain. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't come together. Yeah. Once Don't. he said it, I knew it. Okay. So, so, so there's jargon, there's language, there are other barriers, such as? Such as, uh, being a disabled veteran, that just these employers that hear disabled veteran, they assume that these veterans have PTSD or some kind of cognitive issue that would, I guess, stunt their corporate uh, integration. But some, but some do, some don't, mm -hmm. but both are challenging, correct, Elaine? Both are challenging, and you have veterans that have visible disabilities, and you have veterans that have obvious disabilities. So you're seeing some people on the panel who have both as far as the veterans. Mm -hmm. So when you're going in front of an employer, um, really what's, you know, the employers want to hire good people. And as we know from the jobs report last week, that we're almost at a full economy. Employers are demanding those individuals that have skills and talent, and veterans provide that. When you think about the military experience that veterans have, they collaborate, they work as a team, they understand strategy, they can work in an adverse situation, and then if you have a disability on top of understanding adversity, makes your troubleshooting skills even better. So I think that when we look at working with a group such as the GI Go Fund, um, and they take, they can actually, Joe can look at the talents of somebody and really understand what it means to bring those talents to an employer when you have a job, as, as Joe mentioned, maybe you're a munitions um, person in the military, or you drove a tank. What does that mean to a civilian employer? It means nothing, you know, but there are talents and skills that are behind that that are really crucial. But, Elaine, you, it's interesting. You said working with the GI Go Fund. To be more specific, Kessler Foundation provides significant grants to certain organizations, one of which is, in fact, the GI Go Fund. Talk about that grant. So we invest in organizations that provide innovative solutions, but we also work with them because we see ourselves in collaboration and partnership with them. And uh, we've worked with the GI Go Fund starting way back in 2011 when they were a young organization started by two brothers who were really not veterans. And so it's amazing that they've had a long track record of getting the trust of the military um, and those who work in the uh, who are former service members. And that grant was to do customer service and IT. And they developed a relationship with PSENG. And PSENG hired all the 22 individuals that went through that program. And then in Hurricane Sandy, some of those same individuals right. worked the phone lines. Um, so they really gave back in addition to being hired. And then in 2014, we gave them another grant. Why? 
because they initially started as getting the homeless off the street in Newark. And why are people homeless? Because they don't have a job, they don't have a place to go to, they don't have the supports they need. And that was to really help them build the infrastructure of an employment program. And they've done so well that this fall we gave them a third grant. Um, and that grant is to help develop the relationships they have building out a job board, doing job fairs, and also employment. And I think Joe has an interesting story because he's connected to the organization through one of our grants. Correct. So, so that was a setup. You can just pick yeah, it up. I, I saw that. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, like I said, um, I had a hard time finding a job, and uh, James did my interview. He's over there. There's my boss over there. And uh, oh, huh? your boss is here. Yep, he's right. One there. of the keys to success is is kissing up to your boss in public. <laughs> and, and who's your boss? Uh, James, right there. Let's hear it for James, right there. Thank you, James. So James is one of the founders of the GI Go Fund. And they wanted to bring along a veteran that, uh, I guess, knew the terminology and knew uh, how to reach out to other veterans and knew how to just talk to them and let them feel more comfortable. Uh, I'm the only veteran that works in our office right now, so um, it's, it's great for me to sit down with these people and uh, share stories. And I'm able to make them feel more comfortable to be able to tell me things that they can't tell uh, somebody from the VA or a doctor or a therapist. And so, uh, sorry for interrupting. One to ten, how rewarding is your work? Uh, Nineteen. <laughs> Good answer. Good you. Right? Um, Dr. Wiley, let me ask you. When we were talking on camera, you talked specifically about your research around Gulf War illness. Specifically, what is it and why does it relate to the conversation we're having tonight? Glenn? So, Gulf War illness is also called um, chronic multi-symptom illness. And Sorry, chronic what? Chronic multi-symptom illness, Go ahead. which is another way of saying that it's not really well understood. Um, and so <clears throat> some of the things that, that are hallmarks of it are chronic pain, um, chronic fatigue, and cognitive problems. Uh, and we at Kessler um, Foundation have really sort of look, been looking at fatigue for um, quite some time. And so we've been looking at mental fatigue in Gulf War illness. Why is that so important to do that research? What does that research tell us and how does it relate to helping veterans in the way uh, John spoke about and Glenn spoke about? So mental fatigue is um, important for a, a number of reasons, one of which is that it's in, is invisible, right? And so when these veterans came back, they started experiencing mental fatigue as well as physical fatigue, and they weren't always believed. Um, because there was no way to really show that it was happening. And we can show that it's happening with, um, with functional neuroimaging technology, which is like a window into the brain. Neuroimaging technology. Yep. <clears throat> Translate. So, picture uh, this. Picture this. Okay. <laughs> we put someone into a scanner. We have them do tasks while they're in the scanner, and we can see where the activation is happening in their brain. And um, in relation to the project that we've been doing with Gulf War Illness, um, we have people do tasks in the brain, in the brain, in the brain, yes. We have people do tasks in the scanner, hmm. and then we track where in the brain activity and fatigue sure. go together. So when fatigue goes up, where does activity go up? When fatigue goes down, where does activity go down? So the studies, the research going on at Kessler Foundation is so important, and Chris, one of the participants, and as I said before, a very compelling interview we did. Chris... Describe as best you can for us 
um, the way you did for, for, for the public television world who will hear and see you talk about this. When we were doing that interview, there was a cocktail party going on around us, and many of you were drinking, more than you probably should, but um, <laughs> I'm joking. But there was a lot of noise, and it was challenging for me to stay focused in that interview. How challenging was it for you because you have, you're dealing with mental, cognitive fatigue. What was it like for you? We put a lot of preparation into being able to be here tonight. So some, some good, quiet time in the days leading up, um, making sure my meds are all in line the way they need to be. These glasses um, help the light seems to agitate my brain. And so these glasses somehow calm it down uh, by eliminating the, the blue light that is coming through. Um, so all of that is all preparation. While the cocktail party was going on, we sat out there for a while, but it got to the point where I had to separate myself. We came and sat in here, my wife and I, alone in order to uh, have enough brain power to speak to you out there in that crowd. So. Let me, let me follow up on this. Mm -hmm. Why are you a participant in the research going on at Kessler? I, um, predominantly, I, I want to be able to help other veterans and our children. Uh, that, that's the big motivation there. I don't know that, uh, I mean, I'm 53 years old, and I hope they have help for me too. And actually, I shouldn't say it that way. Because of the research of Dr. Wiley and the recommendations that he's giving to the Risk Center, the Risk Center gave recommendations to me, and seven months ago, I would not have been able to sit here. Seven months ago, I was so completely debilitated by the symptoms, I would not have been able to communicate to you folks. In fact, I was serving a small church as a pastor, and I couldn't communicate a Sunday morning sermon to them. Um, because of the effects in my brain. It's like a firestorm of electrical activity taking place that just, everything becomes a cacophony. All my mental activity becomes a cacophony. Let me just press a little further if I could. Yeah. You literally said to me in the interview that mm. your brain shuts down. Yeah. Describe what you mean. So during study time, or uh, heavy cognitive activity, um, my vision will go blurry. I won't be able, my reading comprehension is out the window. Um, and so my brain just starts to shut down. And if I don't take precautionary steps, it'll culminate in me fully passing out. You met Dr. Wally for the first time tonight. I did, yes. What was that like? Um, <laughs> did you realize he was that tall? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. <laughs> So, so and that good. <laughs> my communication gets all garbled, and so the first thing I told him was, "I'm your big. Your, how did I say it? You're my biggest fan. Something like I'm that. I'm your biggest. You're, no, but it, but it was true, I'm your so. biggest fan. Is what I told him. But what I meant was, he's my biggest fan. I, I love the work that, that he's doing and, and that the Kessler Foundation is doing uh, because the ways that it helps me, and uh, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, hopefully the ways it'll help my children. Yeah, could you just, I hate to press you a little further That's on this, fine. but you talked yeah. about children and grandchildren. Yeah. That was really, and is very powerful. Yeah. Um, our firstborn child was conceived just months after Desert Storm, and she clearly displays Gulf War illness in, in her digestive tract and in, in other bodily functions and, and, and things that are going on for her. 
And she has three beautiful children, uh, but we can see the traces of the symptoms there too. And uh, so my, I'll give you folks anything you want from my body so that you can help my kids and the kids of other veterans. Thank you for your service and thank you everything for everything you're doing. For thank you. Thank you. Joe and Ian, um, my bad for not acknowledging that as well for your service. That, um, you know, it, it's interesting. Dr. Wiley, what were you thinking when you were listening to Chris? Um, well, so one of the things that we're finding is that um, there's a dysregulation of brain activation in certain key regions. There's what? A dysregulation um, of brain activation such that when um, we give people tasks of different difficulty and um, for, you know, the normal thing in these regions is to have more activity when you're doing the harder task. It's like, you know, a difference between jogging and sprinting. You use more energy when you're sprinting when you're jogging. And, but in the folks with Gulf War Illness, it's like th these areas are always active at the highest level. It's like they're sprinting all the time. And so it's like they can't regulate mm. uh, appropriately brain activation. How impressive is Chris tonight? Super impressive. <laughs> yeah. You are yeah. his biggest fan, aren't you? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dr. Forrest, let me ask you. One of the things you talked about when we were talking before is, is being hopeful, all of you talked about it, all of the researchers at the foundation, talked about being hopeful, somewhat optimistic about the research, but also about the ability to apply the research to veterans with disabilities because? Because of the knowledge we're finding. I mean, um, I, was, I was actually blown away by that conversation. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's pretty amazing. The, the knowledge we're finding out, um, if, I, if I relate it back to exoskeletons, we've been doing exoskeletons for, since 2012, and at that stage we knew very little about them, and so we've been studying them um, with the help of um, the VA in the Bronx and other sites. We have a number of DOD studies for exoskeleton work, and so now we are realising that we're there are, we do change the, the muscle in the legs and we do change the blood flow in, in the, in, even in the paralysed legs. And why is that important? Because people with an injury have a lot of health issues. Uh, they have pressure sores. And we, so we know getting upright and ambulatory for those individuals is very important. And, and that affects their quality of life. I mean, if you ask Ian, I assume he's going to say he really likes walking. You know, mm -hmm. if you saw him walking out there, he really likes walking. He's got a long stride. He stands up nice and tall. I mean, that's <clears throat> when that's taken, when you're not doing that and you can't do that and now you are doing it, the contrast is pretty dramatic. And so what we also know that people with an injury Walking in these exoskeletons, the, um, the body fat, we are uh, in the abdominal area, which is, you know, very, very important for a number of health reasons. They're losing that. And so we ha we've got investigators at the Bronx that are actually, from our data, finding all of that out. So I think those health issues directly relate to their quality of life and directly mm -hmm. relate to how they feel day to day. And for them it is often it is a day-to-day -day concern. Ian, jump in and, and follow up on Dr. Forrest's comments. 
Well, she's absolutely right. Um, I've done a number of damaging things <laughs> to my legs that you don't even know you're doing, burns. And when you're actually moving your legs as opposed to not moving your legs, it takes from forever, and I mean months and months and months, to heal to healing within maybe four weeks. So that's because of the blood flow, I believe. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Is it, doctor? doctor? Yeah, I mean, for, if, for individuals with a spinal cord injury and they get a skin breakdown or they, or they get some at the ankle joint, it takes a long, long time to heal. You know, and so why? Because the blood flow, um, the lack of contraction in the limbs, and that's what, again, that's what we're starting to realize. That using these devices, even though the limbs are paralyzed, that believe it or not, there's muscle activation going on there. And I'm not saying it's voluntary, there's other mechanisms for it, but we're finding all of this out. And for people that don't have great trunk, and now they're standing upright, I was thinking, we've got a number of participants now that, um, who have got an incomplete injury, which means they potentially can stand a little. They're at home now and they're able, one participant said that they're able to stand at the fridge, hold two plates and move about the kitchen. And they don't have to worry about not being able to do that. They, the balance has improved. And so it's those clinical points that we're changing, that we're able to change for veterans. Um, but it's understanding why we're getting those. That's where we come into this. Yeah, it's critically important. And one more quick uh, item here, Ian. You were telling me that wh while we're talking, you, you said the, I don't know if you said the pain or the fatigue, but mm -hmm. in the, talk about that. Um, where the damage was done, I have uh, chronic pain. Some days are worse than others. And um, it's just the workout usually exasperates it for that day, but the next day I feel a lot better than if I didn't work out. So there's something going on there. I don't know what it is um, where, yeah, it exasperates for that day, but the next day it's not as intense as it normally would be. Ian, why is it important for you to be here tonight to be on this panel and to share your experience connected to Kessler Foundation with uh, this group tonight, this audience? I'm just why? thankful that people are interested in finding ways where I'm probably never going to walk again. I'm totally cool with that. But finding ways to make my life easier and better, as in pain or mobility. Mm -hmm. So these studies, I'm always volunteering for these studies because I want to be a part of it. I want to be hearing about the new technologies and everything else they might be tangentially into. So just being part of it and being able to uh, hopefully benefit in some way either indirectly or directly from the study or from something I hear about because I'm talking to these researchers, hearing about something else. But you actually said to me that you were thankful. You were grateful. Oh, absolutely. I'm thankful <clears throat> that we live in a country that supports veterans, for lack of a better word. Um, I just, it's an amazing country. I just want to add. I'm thankful for my service all the time, and I tell people, thank you for this wheelchair, mm. you know, because it's reciprocal, I guess. You know, just, it's, it's coming back to me in ways I never imagined I would ever come back. Dr. Five, your reaction to what you're hearing? Oh, it, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I, um, I, I'm really touched by the, by the stories um, in, in many ways. Um, I'm, I'm glad to know that 
Um, you know, we, we can help veterans from the point of injury, right, Ian, um, uh, to, to gaining access to, to care, to collaborating, like, you know, with my, working with my um, colleague and um, my colleagues' works. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away by my colleagues and the work that they're doing. It's, it's really, it's innovative. It's, we're, we're giving back and um, I, I just, um, it's just touching my heart in, in so many ways. And I'm just so glad that we can share this with our veterans and their families. Like, I think that that's one of the, the other keys that uh, we're not necessarily talking about in the room, but our veterans also are a part of a, 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 right. their families. And our research also talks uh, or touches our families as well. We're working with our spinal cord injured caregivers and learning the way about the ways in which um, you know working um, the the VA has helped them, and also working with uh, you know uh, Kessler, the folks at Kessler as well, and so that's also been helpful um, getting back getting our veterans sure. back in their homes after their injuries and living a good quality of life with their families. Oh, and I'm curious about this. As a leader of a team, the grant-making side, if you will, communication and grant-making, <laughs> to, see, to see people who are on the other end of it receiving the benefits of it, beyond you know, the metrics that people have to demonstrate, um, the human side of it, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but for you, What's that like to see, not just Joe and his colleagues, but, but the other veterans here and the other veterans who are not here, represented here tonight by the folks who are here. What's it like for you to be a part of that team at the foundation? Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about the people and returning to their homes and their communities and to their jobs, uh, regardless of when they were injured, uh, whether it was an active duty service or whether it was during their lifetime after they gave service as a veteran. Um, pulling it all together is what, what we see is really important. And in fact, in our grant making itself, most of our projects, what they all have in common besides some of what you heard today is looking at health issues or the assessment of what the goals are. There's something called the ecosystem around a veteran, which if you think about the planet Earth and all everything rotating around in, in equilibrium. So we're looking at, you know, the person's job is in the middle. But they're not going to be able to stay in a job with all these other wraparound services, the ecosystem, their health, the research, sure. um, you know, childcare, housing, financial issues. And that's what our grants aim to do is that through these innovative solutions, not only help people get back to work, but the teams on the grants who walk the walk and talk the talk, who mostly are veterans, aim to you know, put all these services together that they know about, whether sure. it's connecting somebody to a clinical trial or a research study or a job or better health care or better child care. Let's do this. By the way, I want to go out and get some questions here. Uh, is this microphone working? If not, it is? OK. Uh, put your hand up. Be a part of the conversation. Uh, or I'll just call on you and make you uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> gentlemen, over here. If I can, I can't throw you the microphone, so. Okay. <laughs> now you know you're in Jersey, okay? Bruce had mentioned that he's doing a lot of the research for his children and grandchildren. Are some of the issues you're having become, your illnesses came because of your military or illnesses. How do they translate to your children and grandchildren? How do they pick up some of the issues you're having? Is that psychological? Is that physical? Um, <clears throat> great question. 
Yeah. <clears throat> I think I can only take a stab at that, but um, it's definitely not psychological. Uh, it has to be physical in some way. Um, one of the studies somewhere, Dr. Wiley would probably be able to answer better, but um, one of the studies somewhere is identifying that the mitochondria DNA is damaged. And I'm wondering if it's not that damaged DNA that has been passed to my children and grandchildren. Dr. Wiley, help us. Yeah, I mean, there are a number of <clears throat> um, physical things, physical um, things that happen to these veterans who, who went to the Gulf. Um, you know, they were given things to, to ward off chemical weapon attack. Um, and, and then they were also exposed to low levels of sarin gas, and they were exposed to, you know, smoke from burn pits and just sand from being in the desert. And, um, and we don't know how these things um, are, are affecting them, let alone their children. So um, this is the first time I'm hearing that, that it's, you know, being passed on to the next generation. That's the first time you're hearing this? Yeah. But it's, it's not unreasonable to assume that it's possible, A, and B, that it's important to study and understand. Oh, definitely. It's important. Question right here. Yes, sir. Thank you all for being here. To say we're impressed and uh, is certainly an understatement. Um, as we're sitting here tonight, we see what's been accomplished as of tonight. As you look back a year ago or two years ago, how have things changed in terms of helping all of you? Joe? Um, if I can touch on that, uh, thanks to Kessler, I'm able to go to my office and help these veterans thrive. And to me, that's the most priceless thing that um, can happen. And Because of the, the grant? Because of the grant, yes. Let's be clear, it's about money. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and the dollars that you're able, I mean, Roger will do the thing later, but I mean, the fact is, it's not just, you said partner and collaborating, yes. but those dollars matter, don't they, Joe? Yes. Talk about it. And um, because of Kessler's uh, funding, we were able to create a job board called jobs.giago.org. And if Noel can show the slides, uh, look to your uh, right or your left, uh, you should see the screens. Yeah, talk about that. This is a job board that we created so we can help veterans transition when they're getting out or if they've been out for a while to help them create a resume and build a job profile. Now, you can see here that you can click on your rank, on your job. We make it easier for them to, uh, I guess, create a profile to where employers can easily distinguish their skills and uh, what their rank is, what they've done. And if you can go to the next slide, please. So this is our transition package. Uh, it gives some important information about healthcare, education benefits, maybe uh, jobs that the individual can possibly do, or uh, uh, next slide, please. Sorry. And we made it very user friendly. We can they can start plugging in information, their name, their address. They can pick their military job, and we provide the descriptions for them uh, based on rank and experience, and they can easily just search jobs that way. Uh, next slide, please. Um, this is a job search. Uh, they can just narrow it down to the radius, uh, what kind of job they would like to find, uh, what state, what city. 
Um, it's Again, it's really user-friendly. They can click on it, and it'll just tell you exactly what they need to know, what qualifications they would need, or if they need, uh, need to possess a degree, or any other licenses that... Elaine, how important? Very important. Um, how do you get to the workplace if your employer doesn't know the skills that you right. have or the capabilities? And I would say also that the veterans coming out of the military don't always know what skills they have. So depending on when they enlisted, they may have come not even finishing high school. Um, perhaps they have some high school, but you know they acquired some skills and they have no experience even interviewing or, get, or going in front of an employer. So that's why organizations like the GI Go Fund very important. We funded a program in greater DC called the Veterans Service Network and that program actually started a temporary staffing agency for service members and their family members and that that program has had Capital One give a huge investment, Kessler Foundation and others. They've placed actually over 300 veterans with disabilities, work with coached and work with over 5,000 individuals. So these types of tools that are developed, and as you heard from Joe, this was developed by the GI Go Fund uh, through our funding and other tools that they've developed are critical for getting those veterans back into jobs. Did you want, does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. A gentleman here had a question. Yes, sir. Well, first, I want to join the prior comments that were made with regard to thank you for all the things you've done in your service and your research. I am curious about one thing. With regard to veterans, we're using the word veterans, but as more and more women are entering into active military combat positions, the history I had in the world where there was a lot of research being done at the company I worked for the one thing that kept coming up was that women and men respond to the same research conditions differently. Mm. What I'm wondering is, is Kessler working on differentiation between illnesses, injuries, et cetera, between men and women in the military? Very insightful. Um, Dr. Forrest, take it on. Take it on. Um, yes, that would mean, <laughs> I, I have no idea, is, is there, is there, the perception is there's is, a difference. No, that is a really good question. Um, right, Pierre, that's a really good question. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, so, so yes, um, women and men definitely respond differently. Um, uh, physiologically, it's different. And so, for example, I have to consider the physiological differences when I look at bone, which we do. We analyze bone and when we look at muscle. And um, so you, uh, that feeds into all of the how we select and how we analyze and feeds into a lot of, a lot of different ways on how we do our research. And um, we, obviously we analyze by gender, but that's actually too simple to analyze by gender because there's a lot of other elements. There are the variables. Yeah. It's Many. Very, very complicated. Um, and I mean, spinal cord injury is very complicated on, uh, on very different levels. And, and Ian was saying he has pain and um, it, whether they have spasticity and whether they take medications um, for all of these, which then also influences the outcome and then then you have the gender issue which influences the outcomes it's interesting um, 
when we do our research grants and we resubmit our grants, we have to distribute the population evenly amongst when you, whether it's NIH, DOD. So these questions are coming up more and more, the, res the gender response. But again, and Dr. Five, gender only one, a big and important variable, but not the only one. It is not the only one. I'm, I mean, I, I, can I speak? I'm going to speak to the issue of, of gender, though, and, and then and then come back to that. I think the intersection between gender um, uh, and and outcomes um, among um, our spinal cord injured veterans is very important. We do see a significantly higher proportion of men living with spinal cord injury, both in the VA and amongst our veterans and um, in, the, in, in the civilian population. However, the, amongst the, the women, we definitely see um, de different reactions to um, being in the military, their experience in the military. And then even when, um, in, in my research, I know in terms of looking at uh, VA disability compensation, a number of our, of our veterans are well, my, my population is all, are all men, but a number of them spoke to the fact that, you know, after their injury, still wanting to be a breadwinner, right? And bringing that back, and, and even in spite of their injury. So their VA disability compensation is a monthly financial compensation that they were able to bring back to their families. I haven't had a chance to speak to many women about, about this, um, about VA disability compensation. I think that that's definitely something that I, is, is worth looking into um, uh, moving forward, um, the whole intersection between gender and, um, and living with a spinal cord injury, and how socioeconomic issues can definitely, like, like a VA disability compensation, can impact their, their functional outcomes. I definitely think it's uh, research that's pending and worth, worth uh, moving forward with. Elaine, also, Dr. Boyle, I want to follow up on the cognitive end as well with men and women. Go ahead, Elaine. I just wanted to say that uh, through our relationship with the GI Go Fund, I have the pleasure of serving in a statewide MyVA um, organization, and we arranged a conference about a month ago for just women veterans, and the issues that came up were so different than male veterans. Such as? Such as health care. Um, the East Orange VA is now remodeling their lobby because um, women veterans didn't want to come in because men saw health care as a place to congregate, socialize. Women just wanted to get in and get out. They're putting new uh, special suites in there that serve women only, hiring women only doctors. One of the um, facts that came from the conference over the next few years, there'll be half a million women veterans. So it's Half an, a million? So there's increasingly, and I don't know what the population is of those who have disabilities, but there's, you know, child care issues, there's sexual abuse issues, there's sure. home, and there's a, gro a growing rise of women who are veterans who are homeless. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Wiley, the issue, fascinating question about men and women and the differences uh, for veterans. Yeah. On the cognitive question, this say cognitive fatigue, as you talked about, is there any research that helps us understand any differences, if at all, between men and women as it relates to cognitive fatigue? Not that I've seen, and especially not in relation to Gulf War illness, because, um, I mean, the Gulf War vets are all getting to be around 53, 53 years old. Um, and so, you know, there were even fewer women in the service back then. Right. Um, and so... There'll be more and more now. There'll be more and more now. And so... Um, in other work that I do where I look at traumatic brain injury, for example, that, that might be a better, a better place to look. Um, and in, in fact, a grant that we put in 
um, recently to look at traumatic brain injury in rugby players, because rugby players, at least, you know, you can know that some of them are going to get a TBI right there in front of you, because that's what rugby is about. Right. Um, we were going to actually look at men versus women in that, in that project. So Fascinating. Uh, we have time for we have one more. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, good evening. I found tonight's uh, conversation uh, fascinating in particular, but also, like the other members, like to thank the veterans for their service. One thing, though, that we have seen happen over the past two years is obviously the DOD budget has increased dramatically. And DOD is obviously responsible for Walter Reed, Bethesda, and a few other establishments like that. Is there any coordination with them? Because obviously for those veterans, or for those servicemen that are injured, it initially happens, then they go to Walter Reed or wherever. And then what happens when they sort of segment out of the military are you doing any coordination with any of those establishments? Yes. Probably men and women, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so our first employment grant was with the National Organization on Disability in 2006. And that grant was the first time that um, individuals went into Walter Reed after injury to try to start the process right away to get veterans employed. So I would say our projects in other states do work with the military hospitals. Um, we have currently uh, a project on the employment team. We have a director of employment research, Dr. John O'Neill, who has a spinal cord injury project with one of the VA hospitals in Florida and Kessler Institute. So we do try to coordinate as much as we can, either on the employment side or the research side. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, Ian, final message for everyone here, and Chris, I'm going to ask you the same thing and Joe the same thing. What's the message you have for everyone who took the time out tonight to be with us here at Kessler Foundation. What's the message you want to leave with them? Uh, again, I just want to say thank you all um, for the support that everybody has given through their taxes and through their voting to support all of us. And just thank you for being here and showing an interest in what the Kessler Foundation is doing. Joe. Uh, I just want to say thank you for everybody uh, coming out here today, for being a part of a country that truly supports people like us. Um, I want to thank you for that, and I, I love this country. You know, I was born here, and uh, I would do anything for it. And I want to give back to those who have served as well. And that's my, that's the best thing that I can do to give back to the veterans. Thank and you, you for and, that. and you love the Kessler Foundation. Yes. I just want to make thank sure. Thank you for having me here. As well. <laughs> you know, you know. Chris, you get the last word. Well, let me let me not forget to say I love Kessler Foundation. So I'll say it right now. <laughs> right now. <clears throat> yep. I have to say it does not surprise me that Dr. Wiley and a couple other folks heard for the first time tonight that we're seeing Gulf War illness in our children. And the reason it doesn't surprise me is because for so long we were told there is no such thing as Gulf War illness. And for so long everything was blamed on PTSD. And, uh, and, and it's just now where research is ramping up to the place where it's making some real progress. And so I am just so thankful for the work <coughs> that you folks are doing, uh, for the, the folks that contribute to it. Um, does the government have a responsibility? <coughs> a absolutely. Uh, if we're going to go to war, we should be prepared to take care of our warriors. Um, but without philanthropic donations, it wouldn't have gotten to where it is today because the government was denying it for so long. And so thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, 
I encounter so many veterans that have an entitlement <coughs> attitude. I was so thankful, Ian, when you said that I, I thank people for my chair. They thank me for my service, I thank mm -hmm. them for my chair. Praise the Lord for that. Mm. Um, but so many folks have, have an entitlement, you owe me now. I, I don't have any sense of that, but I do want to say, guys, this really hurts. This really hurts, so thank you for your help. Please keep helping. Before I, before I bring Roger up, please join me one more time in saying thank you to our very distinguished and significant panel tonight. Please join me in um, applauding and saying thank you to the CEO here at Kessel Foundation, uh, just a real good friend and just someone who cares deeply. Roger DeRose. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, um, thank you ladies and gentlemen, for coming out tonight and uh, spending the evening with us on one of the most important assets that we have in our country, and Steve alluded to it, and that's our veterans. And um, uh, obviously, thanks to Steve and the great work that he does in terms of building interest in our organization, each year through the great interviews that he does on New Jersey Public Television. And if you're interested in seeing those that come out tonight, uh, leave your email with uh, Michelle Pignatello with us and uh, we'll email blast those out to you. Also thanks to the panel as Steve did as well. Uh, it's just great to have leaders that we serve with every day on a panel like this in addition to the veterans that are here this evening. So we heard a lot about thank you for your service tonight. And uh, thank goodness that we all feel that way. It's a term, it's a, a sentence, it's a phrase that we all say when we meet a vet that has served us. When I grew up during the Vietnam era, that wasn't so common. In fact, many of the vets that were coming back uh, didn't even identify themselves as vets. They wouldn't even be caught in uniform because of the disrespect that was shown to them. And this became very apparent to me about five years ago when I was, and I shared this story at an employee communication several years ago, that I was on a flight from Newark to Tampa and I was on uh, United and I was in group two. And of course, when you think you're in group two, you think that you're gonna be boarding soon, but you actually have to go behind people with disabilities, thank goodness, uh, military service members, uh, families with small children under the age of two, uh, those that need just a little extra time to get down the runway, global services, group one, and then group two. So you're really number seven. So <laughs> it's great marketing on the, on the part of United Airlines. But so there was a lot of commotion going down the jetway. And again, I was in group two. And I didn't realize what the commotion was all about until I got going through first class section. And I heard one of the flight attendants say to the other flight attendant, wasn't it great that one of our first class passengers actually gave up his seat to a military person so that they could enjoy the comfort of first class going from Newark to Tampa. And in fact, the passenger went to the military person's seat, which is when it was in row 15 in the middle seat. And it, it, it demonstrated to me what a difference we have today in terms of our thankfulness to the men and women who've 
served our country. And we take that same attitude from that first class passenger and we bring that right back here to Kessler Foundation in the work that we do. Whether it's the research where we're trying to identify the issue and try to create new interventions that are helping to address those primary functional issues that the veteran might have from the injury, whether sustained in war or after war, or it's the secondary complications that come from that injury. And then as Elaine so elegantly described the work that we do in terms of helping veterans transition from the military skill sets that they have to back to the community. So uh, it, it's very appropriate that we're having this conversation tonight because just a week ago, we celebrated our fallen heroes during the Memorial Day celebrations. And of course, we celebrate all vets during Veterans Day in November. But I can't think of any organization in the country that meets all of the challenges that our vets face when they come back from war. And so for us, we do what we do best, and that is to work on the research, try to create new interventions that are gonna help the, the patients, the vets, and then help them get back to the workplace, to the community, and integrate with their family. And while we can't do everything, if you can help a vet find a job, you're not only helping the vet in terms of integration to the community and employment, but you're helping the family for all the reasons that Elaine said tonight. So, uh, you know, when you think of veterans, um, I, I can't think of a harder work ethic than what a veteran goes through, what a military person goes through when they're in service. We know that their, their work ethic is top in its field. We know that they are purpose-driven. We know that they can adapt, they're flexible, they react in good faith to any situation. Why wouldn't they make great employees for any organization? And in fact, many of them make great entrepreneurs as well. So tonight, it's my, uh, Glenn very elegantly said that we're not gonna be asking you for money, but I wanna tell you why I think you should consider supporting the work that we do, whether it's in research or whether it's in employment grant making. First of all, and for those of you that have been to our groups, uh, these types of sessions before, 100% uh, of your donation goes directly to what you want it to go to. That's unusual in today's nonprofit world because everyone has operating expenses. So a best nonprofit might operate on 85 cents on every dollar that you give and 15 cents going to the administration and the overhead. Not at Kessler Foundation because we're fortunate to have an endowment that covers all of our overhead. The other thing I would tell you is that uh, we're a well-run organization. Um, we, we've been recognized as one of the best businesses to work for, one of the top businesses to work for, 100 best businesses in New Jersey for seven years. We've been ranked as one of the top 50 nonprofits in the United States, and there are two million nonprofits in the United States. So we, we have a, a great organization that is mission-driven, and everyone in this organization comes here with enthusiasm every day. We have incredibly low turnover. We have some of the most talented researchers that you'd find in any organization. John didn't talk about it tonight, but if you went to Princeton or MIT or the University of Wisconsin or UCLA, and you asked those academic centers and those researchers what their win rate is on a grant submission, they would tell you it's under 15%. 
at Kessler Foundation last year, John and his research team achieved nearly 45% win rate. So if you give to support the types of programs that you heard here tonight, we'll be leveraging your dollars because we use your dollars to collect pilot data, which then allows Gail Forrest, it allows Denise Fife, it allows Glenn Wiley to write grants to the NIH, to the Department of Defense, to the state commissions, to other private foundations, and leverage your money up. Let me give you one example. The robot that you saw, Ian, walking in tonight, our board made an investment of $125,000 in that robot in 2011. And so far, uh, Gail Forrest and the researchers have won over $7 million in new grants. So there's a leveraging effect when you invest in the kind of work that we do. And I would tell you that uh, there's not many organizations that have the type of track record that our organization has. So for all those reasons, I would tell you we're a great investment as an organization. So in the same way that that first class passenger gave up his seat to show his gratitude and his appreciation for the vet that came down the aisle and then he took row 15 middle seat to show his gratitude and his appreciation, tonight you'll be doing the same thing if you invest in our organization. You'll be saying thank you for your service. So thank you all for coming out tonight. Please stay for desserts out in the lobby and talk to us and talk to the panelists and the vets and hear more about our great organization. Thank you for coming out, everyone. For more information about Kessler Foundation and our researchers, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N dot O-R-G. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.